Hello and welcome to the Villa Talks podcast. Welcome to the post-match rant. Uh, this was recorded on Twitter Spaces uh, just immediately after the match, uh, day before the deadline day closed. Uh, we just wanted to get a bit of engagement and get your views as well. Um, so uh, I hope you enjoy. Apologies for the lack of audio quality, but as we had to do it on Spaces, uh, we couldn't use the mic. So bear with it and uh, and enjoy. Up the Villa. Evening, everyone. Uh, hopefully, everyone's doing well, well, as well as can be. Welcome to the Villa Talks post-match rant. Uh, we decided to record this as a spaces as well as a normal pod, just because we're hoping to get a bit of engagement from you guys as well. Um, so, if you want to, if you want to come on and request to speak, and uh, we'd be happy to have you on, hear your thoughts as well. Um, obviously, a tough, tough evening. Um, we're going to dissect the match as best we can. I've got AJ with me, who's. Uh, Who's an expert at dissecting things? So uh, <laughs> I'm gonna leave 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 it all to him, really. Uh, but let, let's start off. Just get your your sort of initial thoughts, AJ, post match, uh, sort of immediate thoughts, and then and then we'll go and go into it a little bit deeper. Well, uh, uh, where to start, mate? I guess. Uh, I guess on the face of it, a two-one difference. Um, is is on you know if he does the result on its own, it's not that bad. And I think going into the game, I, I think um, a lot of us were expecting us to be defeated more convincingly than that. But I don't think the result tells the whole story, really. I think um, you know if you look at the performance, um, we were completely outclassed, especially in the first half. You look at the stats, you know, 60% possession for Arsenal. I guess that's not unexpected, but to give up, you know, 20 shots, I think eight or nine shots on target, uh, XG of over 2.6, while we only generated an XG of 0.3 ourselves. Um, it, it was a it was a convincing defeat uh, in in everything but scoreline. Really, we were we were completely outclassed. Um, we 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 didn't um we, uh, it's, oh god I, i'm getting a bit exasperated with it all to be honest mate as i think we all are like the mm. the issues were the same in this game as they have been in every other game and we went into it without without responding to any of those issues like we could easily have you know Arsenal play a 4-2-3-1 we could easily have matched them up uh, and, and again, like we just went into the game looking completely ill prepared. If you look at the average positions again, they're they're an absolute joke. Like um, the fullbacks, like average positions of the fullbacks, way away line and beyond, uh, particularly on the right hand side. You know, Ramsey tucked in quite narrow, so you've got a huge amount of space which Martinelli exploited all game long in behind Cash. Um, that's just you know, and high fullbacks is one thing. I you know I understand like a lot of teams play with high fullbacks and that's fine. But why would your fullbacks be that high when you're conceding sixty percent of the ball? Like yeah. <laughs> high 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 fullbacks when you're controlling possession and pushing on and trying to create things is one thing. But it's just a complete it's just a complete shambles all over the pitch. And I, I just I worry that the kind of 
the result on the the, the scoreline, the actual scoreline of two one, uh, was extremely flattering to us and doesn't doesn't tell the full tale of uh, all of the issues that you can see watching watching the game. And, and ultimately, you know, the goal came from a, a direct corner. And uh, I said to you after the Bolton game, it's ridiculous that we made such a big thing of how we've trained for those direct corners because I said, now everyone's going to defend against it and surely we'll never score one against <laughs> it. So yeah. the, fact, the yeah. fact that we did is a, actually a really poor reflection yeah. on yeah. Arsenal the, because the, there's I mean, absolutely sure, no, sure there's the, no way... Surely the lowest XG goal you can score, right? I mean, it's yeah. Just, you know, to, to try and rely absolutely on, rely no on way. creativity, a goal from a director from a corner. Uh, and, you know, as soon as he came yeah. on, we all know, Villa fans all knew what was coming. Arsenal fans probably not. And, and Ramsdale probably not as well as we saw, but we all knew what he was trying to do. And I mean, he hit that first one out for, for uh, you know, along the floor, and Zaka kicks it out for another corner. We're thinking, oh God, it's not going to work. Why is he going? Why is he trying it again? And obviously he scores. But but we'll come back to that in a second. But I've just tweeted out the average positions uh, for everyone to see, and and it's really interesting reading. And uh, we'll, we'll go into the formation in a second. But you can sort of see where Arsenal were weaknesses. And it was evident in that first half, uh, I think, uh, in terms of the space that we're finding. You know, Od- Odegaard was uh, drifting to the right and linking up with Saka quite well. There was so much space out wide. Um, and they were using that to then build play up uh, into dangerous areas and just pulling our, our defensive part. Uh, and more more so, I think, our midfield, our sort of flat three in, in midfield. And us keeping those, those three uh, uh, sort of two wingers, not really wingers, inverted wingers and... Uh, Watkins up front, high up the pitch, you know, just meant that there was so much space there. When you first saw the lineup, what were your sort of, honestly speaking, what was your initial thoughts when you first saw the lineup and the changes that were made? Um, well, I, arguably, Chambers and Louise were our two best players uh, in an overall poor performance against West Ham, and they were the two players that got, that got dropped. So, so that seemed like. Um, uh, from the off, just looking at individual players uh, seemed, seemed like an odd decision. And it's just the relentless inflexibility and commitment to the approach where, you know, we're... It's just not, it's just not working. The midfield of Ramsey and McGinn... No reflection on them as individuals, really. Uh, for all that they've, they've had their failings, both players and their inconsistencies as Villa players, that midfield does not work. Uh, we've seen that time and time again. It's effective. It was it was the same eleven. I think I'm right. It's pretty much the same eleven that started against Crystal Palace, who also play a four-two-three-one. Um, a, a bit more direct than Arsenal, admittedly. So not exactly the same the same setup. Nonetheless, you know, by uh, effectively, Martinelli did exactly what Zaha did to us at Crystal Palace and exploited that space in between, in behind Cash uh, at fullback, uh, exposed then the centre halves. You've then got Odegaard doing exactly what Eze did and taking up the space that's created in the middle of the park when the wide players uh, stretch our eights out wide uh, and leave Kamara exposed all on his own. So it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same thing. And you know, Chris Sutton, in my opinion, is not one of the best pundits around. He's a really poor pundit. 
But he was saying in the commentary exactly the same things that effectively Patrick Vieira said at the end of the Crystal Palace game, where he said, Aston Villa play narrow in midfield. What we needed to do was switch the ball quickly to our wide players and expose that narrowness. Uh, and that's what, we, and that's how, and that's how we played, and that's you know effectively why we turned them over. Patrick Vieira said that after the game. Chris Sutton was saying exactly the same thing during the game while it was happening, and yet there's no response to it. No response at the beginning of the game in terms of the selection and the shape and all of that, uh, and um, no response from one game to another either. And, and the thing is, like again, like, I can't understand what the value of it. Like for example. Under Smith, defensively, we would often be often try and be compact and narrow and two banks of four and the wide players would tuck in and effectively, you know, you might have Watkins up to exploit people on the break, um, but everyone else would tuck in and, and defend. And, you, you know, the advantage of that was that you forced people out wide when they didn't want to go out there and you made, made sure there was absolutely no space in the middle for them. But we sometimes, somehow seem to have, Gerard seems to have invented this system where we're so narrow that we've got no width on the break, but uh, and we're easy to pick off and exploit out wide. But it also means because the eights are covering for the fullbacks that are so high up, that we also leave massive gaps through the middle of the park as well. So it's kind of like it's the worst of all worlds, and I just can't understand why why he's I mean, I, continuing I, I, when, to pursue when it. Like, I it, just don't when get the it. last time a Christmas tree formation worked? So not only are we playing the diamond as we saw against West Ham, which yeah, I imagine the idea behind that was so we could control the middle of the park, which I suppose works to some sort of extent. But you know, you completely nullify any sort of creativity because. It's modern day football. You know, teams are not going to go gung ho and toe to toe with you. They'll just they'll just usher you out and uh, crowd you out. And then and then today, you know, playing this sort of diamond tree formation again, where as you say, the narrow threes, the eights have to come across, leave so much space in behind. Bailey and uh, Buendia then have to do so much work because not only are they pushing up against the the centre backs and and then having to come back and then pick up the midfielders who are free. It's, it's, yeah. it's, I just, I just, I don't understand the thinking behind it. I've not seen any modern coach, any modern manager ever try this. And it really begs the question, well, what, you know, what is, what is Neil Critchley's job here? Because this is what we saw last year, maybe not the diamond, but uh, definitely the four, you know, the fourth, the four, three, three type formation. Now. What, why is he coming and done? Are we, are we, are, are we just still, is Steven Gerrard on the phone to Michael Beale before every, uh, match and just asking him what we should be playing again I don't I don't understand what's going on I, I don't know well QPR seems to be doing alright don't they um, a different division and all of that so uh, I, I'm reluctant to get too much on that bandwagon because let's face it Michael Beale was here at the end of last season and we weren't particularly good then either this isn't just an issue from, yeah. from this season uh, but it definitely seems like there's more of a problem now than there was then in terms of us looking completely clueless and without a plan and it's kind of like normally when you've got a limited manager like again take Bruce for example they're limited or even even McLeish they're limited in one aspect so like Bruce will set up a team very hard to beat and Bruce's problem is he doesn't get enough wins but generally speaking uh it's certain perhaps not so much these days where he hasn't kept up with the times too much but generally speaking uh he can set up a team to not lose games uh, and to defend well, but then he can't convert that into any kind of attacking prowess. 
here we've got an issue where we can't do either we're, we're setting up in a way you know if you go to the emirates and you try and keep a clean sheet and get a nil nil and maybe nick something on the break that's more than fair enough but we haven't done that it's not like we've gone there and we play narrow defensive two banks of four whatever to try and get a result it's the worst of both worlds and if you don't mind mate i'll just read out because it sums it up for me, sure. something from the uh, that Optus piece that I shared with you yeah. earlier. So this is an article. Yeah. Um, so um, just quick, just, just quickly, Alex just... Uh, Lee, we'll get you on in a second, mate. Just hold on. AJ, go ahead, mate. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read out three paragraphs from this because it, it basically sums it up yeah. for me. It, it goes like this: It's difficult to discuss Villa's aimlessness under Gerard without resorting to sarcasm because it can be hard to pin down data or tactical analysis exactly what is wrong with something that turns to dust on contact but pause any footage of a Villa game this season and witness a team shape of maddening proportions a cross or a star as likely as a triangle or a square nominally a diamond 442 or 3-4-3-2-1 two formations entirely out of fashion in 2022 for good reason Gerard Villa often bunched together in weird clumps or form a single file line down the pitch which can only be the result of improvisational movement attempting to cover for a lack of real coaching. Mm. Or it could be players trying to untangle the knots of their manager's system, which is about as narrow as you'll ever see in the Premier League. It's claustrophobic to watch and presumably to play in, making it easy for opponents to counteract simply by staying narrow themselves to block to goal. And, you know, that pretty much sums it up as, as well as you can I, I think like it, it's just it, it's a system that doesn't make sense nobody else is playing it it doesn't work for the players the players are struggling within it we said this before. literally every player in the team has got worse since Gerald took over um, and that's not to say there's not work to do on personnel and we couldn't straight strengthen the personnel but it's got to the point now where there's there's literally no point calling out individual in the squad because the system is so broken um, that you know, no player we sign is going to thrive in this system. You know, look at Kamara; he's he's doing his best, coming as one of the top-rated defensive midfield players in in Europe, uh, and he's struggling. You know, he's he's struggling because the the system exposes him, just like it does pretty much every player in the team. Yeah, and we'll talk about individuals in a second. Uh, but Alex, if you're still there, mate, uh, I'd love to get you on and hear your thoughts as well. So I'm just going to add you as a speaker. Hopefully you can hear me. Um, it'd be good to get people's thoughts on. There we go. Hi, hi, Alex. You're right there, mate. Hello, boys. Can you hear me? Can hear you fine, mate. Yeah, go ahead. Look, um, I've just come out of the Emirates. It's going to be a bit of a doom and gloom talk. I hope you don't mind. There go, mate. That's, uh, I think that's how we started, <laughs> mate. And, uh, I'm sure that's how Look, we um, very, very depressed at the moment. Nick knows. Um, and, and by the way, boys, you've done a fantastic. Uh, Thing with the podcast, I'm really, uh, really impressed. Well done, by the way. Before Cheers, I start talking about the villa, um, but yeah, it's 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 very, very depressing at the moment. Um, and I truly believe Gerard has got a couple of games to save his um, save his job, really, at the villa. Um, and I know we play City next. I think it's going to be a cricket score. Um, and at, you know, then we, then we play. I think it's Leicester away. Is that right, Leicester away? Yeah, I think we, yeah, we've got um, Southampton and Leicester coming up, haven't we? Yeah, Leicester and, and then Southampton. I, I think he's got four, three yeah. games now till the international break. Um, and then and then we'll see what's going to happen. Effectively, 
you know, the, the owners had this five-year plan a few years ago. They're not going to stand for it. I don't know whether Perslow will admit he's wrong in the um, when he got Gerard in, but it, it's just been shocking. And look, a lot of Villa fans tonight will think, okay, we've only lost two one to Arsenal. They won five in a row, but uh, you know, the right the writing's on the wall tonight. Arsenal weren't great, but we were so much worse, and we we didn't look like scoring. I, I want to make a little point about Louise, and you know, Nick will know I'm not his biggest fan. Okay, he's come on, he's scored a corner, he's done it against Bolton, he's done it against Warsaw. Okay, he's done it in, in, in training. I completely, completely appreciate that. But I don't know whether he is the player in the midfield to take us into the Europe European spots that we need. I don't know whether McGinn's going to do it. I like Kamara. I think he mops up well. Um, I think Ramsey's gone off the boil. I am, uh, again, boys, doom and gloom. I'm sorry, but I'm just going to go through the team. Um Dean, I, I don't personally think he's an upgrade on target. I mean, you look at the West Ham game. The, um, oh, 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 I mean, counted about 20 crosses against West Ham that he that Zuma just headed away. I think if Dean Dean kept putting crosses in now, Zuma would still be heading them away even tonight. Um, Matty Cash, I thought had a poor game tonight. Tyro Mings, solid. Konza, a little bit iffy. I would have put Chambers in. Um, Ramsey's gone off the ball, like I said. I would probably have started Ings instead of Watkins. Um, and then when he's fit and ready, Cameron Archer, I don't know what the kid needs to do to get a chance up front. And um, I think there's a lot of Villa fans that are crying out for him. I know a lot of people are going to say, well, hang on a minute, we haven't got the service to produce the balls into Cameron Archer, but he's already proved in the games he's played for Villa, the goal against Chelsea in the Cup last season, you know, his goals in the in the League Cup against uh, Barrow, I think it was. Lower league sides, I get that, but he's a natural-born goal scorer. Um, and, you know, tonight, I mean, I've been to the game tonight, home and away, and I, I up a little bit tonight, but I'm, I'm never going to blame the goalkeeper because he's been solid for the Villa, but it's very disappointing to get back into the game and then can see straight after. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, what, what was the mood like in the uh, away end? Because uh, I noticed Gerard went straight uh, into the tunnel and didn't come over and clap the fans. I don't know that's... Uh, it's, it's, it's simple things, really, but that sort of connection with the fans, it does seem to be a little bit lost. Hasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, the only player, the only couple of players that really came over to the fans were Buendia, who, again, he's my favourite player. He's our most expensive signing. Me, I think he should be start, He should be the first name on the team sheet every week. He's had him today, but he came over to the fans at the end. Tyro Mings came over to the fans at the end. They're the, they're, they're the only two players that really came over to the fans. I didn't see a lot of Gerard at the end. Um, I, I fear the writing's on the wall. And I, I just want to make a point here that I like Gerard and I really, really want him to succeed. I really wanted Dean Smith to succeed, but he just wasn't the right man for the job at the time. Um, I thought that the, the Gerard appointment was quite simply a stepping stone like a lot of fans have thought for Liverpool eventually and um, I, I truly believe he's got a few games left I don't think Perslow or the board were at, look boys at the end of the day it's a results based business it, 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 you know we've lost it but we haven't played well and we've lost four out of five games Arsenal aren't playing great and they won five out of five it's a results based business and at the end of the day come half seven on Saturday night we could be bottom of the league Mm. Yeah, that's a fair point. And, you know, you talk about Martinez there um, in terms of, you know, his howlers, but at the same time, he's been peppered with peppered with shots all game. Um, and, you know, yeah, he's made a mistake. And 
I also think, you know, he's been exposed a little bit as well because, you know, first half especially, they were all over us. Uh, and, you know, our defence was all over the shop and Mitchell was all over the shop, uh, as, as AJ discussed. And, you know, there's only so many saves he can make. And, and yes, he should have been better in the second. But again, the, the system exposes us because cash is so high up the pitch, as AJ uh, explained with the the average positions. Um uh, you know, you can see where they're exposing us, and they expose us again. Martinelli on the left-hand side, you know, acres of space. We've just, we've just scored a goal. Surely, when you think, please, just, just take a breath here. Let's, you know, there's 15 minutes or so in the game left. Let's shut up shop a little bit. You know, try and hit him on the counter again. Yeah, sure, but why, why is he so high? What are we doing there? And well, and that, that was one of the things, of Alex. That's one of the things Alex mentioned there that I was going to pick up on. Uh, Omar is the. Um, is conceding so so soon uh, after the uh, after the restart because obviously we conceded very early against Bournemouth after just three minutes. Um, he scored against Crystal Palace and then conceded very soon after that. I think that was a matter of two minutes or something. And then again today, uh, conceding conceding a couple of minutes after we after we scored. Uh, and so there's a there's a bit of a pattern there. And and again, you know that's uh, I, I think that. There's two, there's two parts to it. You know, there's a lot of people sort of criticising the mentality of the, the players. And I don't think you can escape that. I think there's been an issue uh, with that club for a, for a long time that, that predates Gerard. And of course, one of the things Gerard talked about is, is to change that. I think Gerard puts so much pressure on the players um, and uh, blames them in every pre-match interview. I haven't seen it today, but some of the tweets suggest that he basically threw them under the bus again in the interview today and said something like, oh, we gave the ball a lot away a lot because we haven't got the technical ability to keep it or something. Um, so I, I think, yes, the players have to take some responsibility. Of course they do. But actually, one of the jobs of the manager is to build and strengthen the mentality, mentality and the psychology of the players. Uh, and, you know, one of the things we said on the pod really early on when Gerald came in and he was banning ketchup and issuing fine lists and all of that sort of stuff, was it's all right to be a uh, hard-assed man if you you know who lays down the law and uh, doesn't take any shit and all of that uh, and is a bit of a prick for, for all the intents and purposes. That's fine if you get results, but as soon as you start missing the boat in terms of the delivering the results um, and you behave in that way, you're going to alienate the players and it. It seems to me that that's that's what's that's what's happened. And, and yeah, one thing yeah. I would say about the players today is I don't think you can question their effort. They were putting a shift in today. They were running all over the place, but they were chasing shadows because they the structure of the team um, versus a very well drilled team with good patterns uh, just exposed them. And all, all they could do was you know. Chase shadows effectively. I don't think it was a lack of effort today. It, it was again no. the the fact that the the, uh, the the team was left exposed by the lack of a, a strong system. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. And I think uh, you know you're right. The lack of effort. You know, it was always going to be a difficult game with a lot of running, and and the possession was never going to be as high as it has been in the first few games. And our running stats were probably going to be a lot higher. And I know we're one of the worst in terms of running stats, if not the worst, but. I think a lot of that effort was, was due to the system, as you say. You know, we, yeah. we the players had to run around because they had to cover so much space because the system wasn't working. And your point about managers, I think all the best managers we know have have the right balance between being a hard ass at the right time and then being able to put a put an arm around the shoulder. And and if Stephen Gerrard is there 
as an old school manager, which he sort of portrays himself to be, uh, not as a co- not as a sort of a tactician, more of a more of a sort of overseer, as, as we discussed in the pod. Then that's number one skill set he needs to have. And if he doesn't have that, does he actually bring to the table? Uh, which is, I suppose, the key question. And we've got we've got a couple of people that want to come on. We'll, we'll come on to you in a second, Farrell. But I'm just going to go to Ryan quickly because he's been waiting for a while. And Farrell will come to you as well. Uh, Ryan, give me one second. I'll just add you on. Um, Ryan, it'd be interesting to hear your your thoughts, mate. Uh, if you're still there, um, I think you're on you're on mute. Um, are you still there, Ryan? Hi, Omar. Hi, Omar. Hi, mate. How are yeah, you? Yeah, not bad, mate. Um, I just wanted to say, first things first, I love the pod, mate. Um, big fan. Thank you. So keep up the good work. But yeah. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm not too happy tonight, mate. Uh, I, I really don't know what to say, to be honest. Um, I don't really know how much longer Gerard will get, because I feel like Per's like a lot of time, to be honest. Um, hmm. I don't know whether that means he gets still the international break or whatnot. But I really, I, I do worry now because I feel like we're in a relegation battle. I don't know what about yourself, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I tweeted something similar earlier um, was it today or was it yesterday about, oh yeah, it was yesterday evening when I was watching the other games. I, I was sort of switching between the other games. Every, you know, the, the Premier League, the quality is so well spread uh, this year in terms of uh, quality of players. Um, every Pretty much every team, Barb, seem to be playing with a bit of a bit of fire, a bit of zip, uh, plan, uh, desire, uh, movement. And we we don't seem to have any of that, and it's a real worry. Um, and uh, you know, there, there's there's so many good teams, and any team can beat anyone, pretty much. And we've just seen obviously Liverpool just beat Newcastle quite late on, but Newcastle obviously improved massively. Arsenal, it wasn't that long ago we were beating Arsenal uh, away and thinking, you know, we can catch them up and, you know, they're, they're within our sights and now they're, you know, see where they've pushed on to. Crystal Palace, Brentford, you know, these kind of teams who should be well within our range, you know, if not behind us, are, are you know, have a plan, have a, have a tactic, have a strategy. And we seem to have no strategy both on the pitch and, and off the pitch. And it's really, really concerning. And where we go from here, it's, you know, we're in a really difficult spot with, uh, you know, obviously a day left of the window in a perilous position in the table. I understand it's only five games in, but any player coming in now is thinking, is this manager still going to be there? Uh, you know, what is the plan? Am I, you know, feel like what, you know, we can forget about what Leon Bailey's stepfather said and uh, yeah, it's completely the wrong thing and uh, the wrong medium for him and don't agree with it. But the message I think is important because Leon Bailey came under Dean Smith to play in a certain way. Steven Gerrard's come in, he plays in a completely different way and, and obviously Leon Bailey feels or his stepdad feels that he's not he's not going to fit in, and there's going to be other players coming in who's going to who are going to come in and either buy into their Gerard philosophy, and then you know, they're going to be worried about if a new man comes in, will they will they still be wanted? Will they still fit in? Will they be you know will will they have a, have a space in the team? So it's going to be difficult to attract players, and if we are going to attract players, will they be moving for the right reasons at this late stage? Which is probably why we're being linked with the likes of Dawson, Bednarak, and, and Lucas Moura. Uh, we are sort of short term almost short-term thinking uh, and goes completely against what we've done previously with Bubakar Kamara, for example, Brandia, Bailey, you know, these, these kinds of players in the past where Watkins, Cash, where we're looking to the future, we're looking to build something here. You know, signing these types of players, you know, we've, I said earlier in a tweet, you know, we've gone from beating Atletico Madrid to a play, for a player to then being Galatasaray and for a, for a player, which shows you the, the market we're now shopping, which again shows you a club with no direction or, or plan, which is really, really concerning. 
Uh, Ryan, just before before you go, just just get your your thoughts on 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 the match itself. Uh, how, how did you think we did in the second half, uh, especially? We talked about the first half and, and talked about how poor we were, but obviously there was a bit a bit of an improvement in the second half. I mean, I feel like we're clutching at straws to say it was better. Yeah, mate. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought you might say that. <laughs> yeah, it really wasn't good um, for me from the start. Louise had to start. Um, feel like we really lacked in possession and in midfield, especially in the first half. You know, Arsenal had so many chances. I feel like that a lot of that stems from the fact we just can't control games uh, in the midfield. Um, and obviously, we did have that to an extent against West Ham on the weekend. Um, and yeah, mate, as I say, I'm looking through the table now and I, I really struggle to see teams that are worse than us at the moment. And I do really worry. Um Obviously, only one day left now in the transfer window, and we still we still only got three centre backs at the club. So mm. I don't know what's going to go on. Um, yeah, it's a yeah. concern because I still think we yeah. need a number eight as well. Well, yeah. also, I mean, Ed Ed Lawrence also in the comments has pointed out again. I didn't hear it, but what Gerard apparently said uh, in one of the post match interviews about Louise when he was asked about whether Louise would still be a Villa player on Friday, he basically said that's beyond my control. And it's watchy subjects where sometimes the club has to do what's best for the club and not necessarily what's best for me, is what he said. So that doesn't exactly sound like we're confident about keeping, keeping Douglas Ruiz. So if we think we might need another midfield player already uh, and we're going to lose, uh, we're going to lose an, another one, then uh, that's a bit of a worry too, isn't it? The, the thing is, um, given that he'd leave on a free next season if we don't get him to sign another contract... Would you take the twenty million for him? Um, well, this, like... this, this, this again points to you know, bad management behind the scenes as well. You know, per, we, we've we've lauded Perslo Langer for signings that they've made. You know, Bubakar Kamara, let's use that as an example. You know, really well handled. We obviously staved off competition from really from top teams, including Atletico Madrid, which we know about, and you know we managed to get that over the line. Diego Carlos, another one. And I don't know what's happened, what's, what, what, what's happening behind the scenes, where the shift has come from. But, you know, how we got to this position where early on in the season, before pre-season even started, Gerard mentioned that he wanted another midfielder. We, you know, we were looking for more bodies there, midfield, more quality. And we knew Dougie Louise's contract was running up. We've known for a long time that his contract was going to run up. How have we not found a buyer for him? Or how have we not signed him up for a contract? Or how have we not found a replacement? How have we put ourselves in this position where... We're having to, you know, centre back aside, you know, that's obviously that couldn't be helped. I don't blame the club for that at all. And signing an experienced head to cover that, I completely understand, and, I, and I'm for it probably. But to get to this position now with the midfield, where Chuck Wilmaker, you know, he's gone. He he, he was he was being counted on as staying here, so already one man down there. The Camber Sanson, you can say whatever, you know, he's, they're obviously not in the plans. Fair enough, but well, is it Chuck fair enough? Well, not fair enough, but I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, obviously, but I'm saying that's their decision. That, that's fair yeah. enough. That's, that's their right to make the decision. But Ch- Chuck Wilmaker was in the plans. He was always in the plans. He didn't want to sell him. So he's gone. Who's his replacement? And, and before, before Chuck Wilmaker went, Gerard, like I said, said that he wanted to get another body in midfield. So how have we got to the position where a club supposedly is, is so well run with an experienced head like Perslow into the position where we're you know, 12 hours away from the deadline closing and we're in a perilous position where clubs know that we're going to get, we're potentially going to lose a midfielder. Clubs know that we're desperate for centre-backs and clubs know that we're desperate for a midfielder because we're going to lose that midfielder. It, yeah. it just, it's just really concerning. Yeah, and, and I guess there's a, there's a few different 
levels of the issue with Douglas Louise for me. So Alex mentioned earlier, uh, you know, I don't know if he's the, is he a good enough player to get us to where we want to be in terms of top eight or whatever? I'm not sure about that. Although if you look at the clubs that are being linked to him, you know, they're, they're at that, le- that level already or above. But, you know, I'm not convinced about that. But the other side of it is, has he probably been our best midfield player when he's played this season? He's certainly been up there and he's certainly much better at keeping keeping the ball than most of our other midfield. So if we do want to play a, a more possession-based game, that he's probably better suited to that than our other midfield players, perhaps with the exception of Kamara, who's, who's equally good, or at least his stats from Marseille suggest he will be if he hasn't quite hit those levels yet. And then there's the, the issue of obviously he's going to be out of contract, uh, as, as Ryan mentioned. And, and I think that's right. But like you're saying, Omar, like if someone had offered us 20, 25 million for him at the beginning of the window, when we had time uh, to replace him, um, then I think that's a, that's a very different equation than where we are now, because on the question of is he good enough for us to be challenging for top eight? Well, we're a million miles away from that now anyway. So actually what we need is someone who's good enough to get us to com- a comfortable position of safety somehow, which he has helped us do in the past. We know he's good enough to do that. Um, if you think about his post-lockdown form uh, in the season, we nearly went down when the first season back up. That was absolutely critical to us staying up. So he's definitely good enough to do, to do that. Uh, and if we sold him today or tomorrow then, as you say, what chance have we got to replace him with someone equally good or better now? Um, very, very slim, unless we've already got someone lined up. So uh, I I think, you know, the, the potential risk of selling him, being short in midfield and ending up deep in a relegation scrap for the rest of the season, not only because of that, but if that's a contributing factor to it, then I'd rather take a loss on the 20 million and let him sign for someone for free in January, to be honest. So like the equation has changed versus if we'd had this comment six weeks ago at the beginning of the window, when everything seemed rosy and we were signing top quality players left, right and center. Yeah. And uh, we looked like we had a plan. It's, it's staggering really, isn't it? Um, uh, Parallel, I'm going to get you on now. So the, uh, hopefully you can hear us. I'm just going to get you on to speak. But it's, it's staggering really how we've gone from a really solid pre-season uh, being excited for the new season coming on, uh, and then being in this position where you know we're worried about relegation. It's 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 remarkable that we have spent so much money, we've signed so much quality, we've gone down this route now. We're buying established, proven quality Premier League players, and we're we're worried about relegation. And uh, and your part of that is down to, to management, hundred percent. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. But part of that down is down to recruitment as well. And I think. Um, and, and that isn't on Gerard really. That's on Langer, Perslow, and Co. What is happening behind the scenes? We're in this position, and, and I've made the point before. Uh, you know, if we are looking at players like Lucas Moura, Bednarak, Dawson, etc., even Luca Dean, Danny Ings, Coutinho. You know, what are Langer and Co. doing? What is their job? Their jobs. They came in. Rob McKenzie, you know, Langer. They've come in as statisticians as. You know, data nerds, players you can scour the market. Lange had a record at Copenhagen of buying players for a couple of million and selling them for 10 plus million. I'm not saying that's the model we want to follow, but that the, the principle behind that is, is a good principle. And that's what we wanted to follow is uh, being able to unearth these gems. How we got to the position now where the manager is dictating the strategy. That's exactly what why we 
hired Yarnanga to not be in that position, to not be in a position where the manager is the one deciding what happens, because we know what happens when when that happens. We've seen it under here, we saw it under Hudia, we saw it under Cleish. You end up in a position where you have a mis- mismatch of different players who all suit different types of managers, and you end up as a squad that's not a cohesive unit. So, which is pre- not not we're not there at the moment, I don't think, but we have players which like Coutinho, like Dean, like Ings, where they don't really fit the profile. Ings especially uh, is one, you know, we, as I mentioned before, and you've mentioned AJ, that signing smacked of trying to soften the blow. And it didn't fit in we were doing at the time. Uh, yes, since then, we've obviously find, we've bought a similar kind to, of profile of player. But to, be fair, point, to be fair, mate, to be fair, mate, I should say, I think that was more Sam that said that at the time rather than me. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, it was. But, give give, yeah, give him credit where it's due. Give him credit, yeah. Much, yeah, as, it, we, much we, as it pains we, me we to were, do so. We were, we were hopeful, obviously, at the time um, that he was going to fit in. And obviously, he was probably the best striker outside the top six. And yeah, from that perspective, you, you sort of hope for the best. But I suppose maybe we should have been a bit more aware of what was going on there. Because again, it doesn't fit into... You know, we had, we had Ollie Watkins there who was playing as a lone striker. Where does Danny Ings fit into that? Where's, where's the structure? And now Jarrah's come in and we've changed completely the stars. If he goes now, a new manager comes in. Which players fit their structure? Which players don't fit their structure? Who's going to stay? Who's going to go? Uh, it's really interesting. Paro, I'm going to get you on now, if, you, if you're still there. Sorry, you've been on, on for a while. How, how are you doing? Yeah, a bit miserable, to be honest. I think everyone <laughs> on is miserable. Yeah. Um, but great work on the pod, guys. Uh, really enjoy it. But um, no, I think I agree with all the points you've just made. And actually, I was going to make the point about what Gerard said after the match. I think it's absolutely disgraceful the way he dug out his own players um it's not going to inspire confidence in him or the rest of his team uh especially when they're seeing players sat on the sidelines like dougie louise and and morgan samson who perhaps deserve a run at but um the point i'm actually going to make is around you know the constant stuff that we're hearing from um perslow and gerard about wanting to aim for europe i mean We've got to be able to walk before we can run. And I agree with what you're saying about the signings. They just scream of desperation. Um, I'd have quite happily, you know, slow progression and stability, uh, particularly after the loss of Grealish, was really the order of the day. And I just think we've been scrambling around. And with that, we've lost our identity. More to the point, I actually watch um, a fair bit of the 21s. And there's been a lot of change, you know, within the academy in terms of personnel and management. And when you watch the 21s at times, it's literally the same issues with the, as it is with the first team in terms of holes in midfield, not able to have control, difficulty sort of getting um, anything sort of active third. And I'm just really worried that we've been really quick to rip things up in the, in the hope that we'll be able to progress moving forward. And I think that it's got to the point now where I think we've got to bite the bullet. It's not ideal to sack a manager in the window, but with how poor we've been and the uncertainty around Gerard. are we even going to be able to attract anyone in the next sort of day or so, even as sort of desperate signings just to keep us afloat? I think we're much better getting someone else in who's new, who's got some fresh ideas and can inspire these players and actually coach them to be better because they've got worse. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, I think I think AJ said the same thing earlier about you, know, you could say maybe Matty Cash has improved, but even then, you know, he's had he's had bad games. Last season, season, last season he had a great season, didn't he? But this season, yeah. he he's gone backwards as well. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if, and, and... You've got, if you've got your keeper who's who's usually really really solid, you know, making mistakes, there's just a lot of malaise creeping through the team. I mean, they were trying today. There's no doubt they were trying, and I think to say that they were better in the second half 
was pr- is probably a little stretch. Maybe they were just a bit, but you still never convinced that they were going to win. And I don't think they were convinced they were going to win um, or get anything from this game. And that's the worrying thing. Um, I just think we need we need a change. And I just think his style of management doesn't work. It's very old fashioned. And when he turns to his left and right, he's got Gary Mack, you know, to advise him. And the other issue I've got with the Gerard appointment, you take any business, a CEO of that business understands the role of others and has walked the walk and has worked, you know, lower down for many, many years and understands a business. Gerard hasn't. He worked one year and then got parachuted into the top job without a real understanding of what it takes to manage a football club in a wider sense, um, as well as how to coach the first team. Um, and that's why I think there's also a disconnect, because I just don't think he gets it. No, no, I completely agree. Uh, AJ, your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, yeah, I think I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't, I haven't watched any of the under twenty ones or, or under twenty threes really, so I can't, I can't comment on on that aspect of it. Um, but certainly, one of the frustrations with Gerard is, uh, and I think in in the comments as well, Chris Finch has mentioned this. I don't know if it's the same uh, Chris Finch that once threw a kettle over the pub. But, um, <laughs> what have you done? Shout out, shout out to him if it is. The, the kind of this kind of disconnect. I think there's a disconnect between Gerald and the players. It seems, but I think one of the we've talked about this before. But one of the things we've obviously lost as a club is going from having Grealish as our captain and Smith as our manager, um, uh, and then both being Villa fans. We all felt very close to the club at that time, and I think a lot of that was not just that Dean Smith was a, a Villa fan, but his personality. Um, and he was a very likable character, and I think the players all loved him. And you know, uh, that's not to say that from a purely football perspective, he didn't have his limitations. And I think you know, we all said most of us on the pod at the time felt like he probably should have been given a little bit longer. But there, there was a clear football argument for him getting sacked at the, at the time. So I, I don't want to go back over that, and I'm not one of these that's going all oh, bring Dean Smith back and all that sort of stuff. But I, I don't think that's the solution at all. I do think there's something about that kind of emotional connection to the club that has been lost. And because Gerard is such a kind of prickly guy and he's just not very, you know, in the, in the post-match interviews, yes, there's the man management aspect of him throwing players under the bus and whatever thing, but also from a fan, it's very hard to warm to him, I think, in the way that he behaves in those uh, interviews. It, it just doesn't... It, it, just very hard to... I think even if we were doing well, we would probably not feel the same connection as when we were doing well under under Smith um, for that for that reason. Um, I mean, hard to know because we're not doing well. But if we were, I, I think there's that. And I think the important thing for us as fans that we've, that we've lost, even, be, even beyond the performance of the team, it just feels like that at the moment, we just don't have that, that, that deep connection with the club that, you know... 18 months ago, we we did all have, almost regardless of results, you know, like it, it, you still felt like it was your your club. And I, I feel I feel that much less now with I Gerard. Think, I think prickly is definitely the word. But the other thing in press conferences, you notice the language he uses when he talks about his players and the fans. It's very much the fans and Villa. He never talks about us. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and he doesn't use inclusive language. And he didn't do that even, you know, the short periods of time we were doing well last season. So even last season, I felt that sort of disconnect. I felt like it was very much, a, you know, this is a professional job. There was no sort of no positive emotion attached to it. I don't think him being from Liverpool or not being a Villa fan has got anything to do with it. But I, I don't think he's helped himself with, you know, just his manner in general, but also the language he uses. And yeah. then to top it all off, throwing players under the bus. I think that's an important point. And for me, I think what's part of what's going on there is he's almost too conscious of the fact that he's a young manager with limited experience. And he's kind of come in and wanted to be like, yeah, but I am the boss of professional and I am serious and I'm, you know, I'm wearing a suit and I'm not just one of the lads, uh, even though all the players that I'm signing are my, <laughs> I'm pretty much the same age as me. You know, I, I'm, I'm the grown up. Like he wants to show, you know, I'm, I'm the big boy, I'm the senior guy, I'm, you know, I'm the manager. And it's almost like he's, he's pushing that too far. Uh, and, and I think as well, it, that's a shame because surely one of the, the the great opportunities that he has is, you know, if you're Jacob Ramsey, well, you you probably, grew, you know, grew up wanting to play like Steven Gerrard, like that. You know, that's the type of aspires to be. And there's a huge opportunity in that for Steven Gerrard with some of these young players. Um, uh, and I think that's also why we've been able to attract some of the, the players we've had. Yeah, but the thing is, but I don't think he's capitalised on that at all. He's gone too far the other way. Sorry, yeah, he's not coaching them. He's sat in the office, and his coaching team are coaching them. And I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's making himself out to be the boss, but he's got very little credibility um, in that regard. Um, and I think his posturing and his stubbornness and his determination to be the big dog is actually what's going to be his downfall. Cause I don't yeah. think he's listening. Um, and I don't think, you know, he's playing to his strengths, which is inspiring through, you know, being the player that he was, cause he certainly isn't a tactician. He should leave that to someone else. Um, or, or quite frankly, at this moment in time, he should jog on. <laughs> yeah. Harold, th- th- thank you. It, it, it's been yeah. excellent. I know, I know you listened to the pod and we've we've talked plenty before, but it's been real. It's been a real honour to have you on, and you made some excellent points. It's been it's good to have you on. So, love to get love to get you on again. Uh, we'll try and do more of these in, in the future, definitely. But but thank you for thank you for your for your time there. Let's let's um, let's let's get a couple more people on in a second. But let's look ahead, AJ. Well, <laughs> it's been all doom and gloom so far, and I'm going to make it even worse because we're going to start talking and looking ahead to the Man City game. Slightly, I don't. I don't want to delve too deep into it because we know we know what's going to happen. But I mean, what what do you do? You got Man City coming up. We know what's going to happen. Um, there was a glimmer of hope in this match because I thought, you know, Arsenal. You just never know with Arsenal. City. It's almost like a ninety nine percent certainty. But with Man City coming up, you know, do you bite? Do you bite the bullet? Do you let him have that match? It's almost like a free hit for him. Then is, is the lesser Southampton games the, the more important ones? Does he rest players? Uh, you know, how do you change the formation? How do you approach that game in this current situation? I, 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 what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think you've got to, you, you can't be, I mean, we can be defeatist on a podcast about it, but as, a, as an actual football manager, you can't be defeatist about it. You've got to get, I mean, and at the end of the day, we went 2 0 up at the Etihad last season in a game that they absolutely had to win. And yeah, all the old mentality issues came back and all of that. But I also think Man City, for all they just absolutely thumped Forest 6-0, um, they've looked, defensively, they've looked more vulnerable this season than I can remember for a, for a long time. 
Um, and they have, you know, they have given up the odd, the odd result, haven't they? So I think you've got, I've got absolutely no hope of us getting anything out of it. But I think you've got to, you've got to go into the game trying your best to, to do so. Um, I also think even if, even if we are resolved already within the club, which I don't think they are, but even if you know Perslow and the owners were agreed that you were going to sack Gerard. I would still keep him for that game because at the end of the day, what's the point of bringing a new manager in to get battered by Man City? I would rather, you know, give them uh, some time to uh, that game because it's almost like a free hit, isn't it? Like anything you get out of that, that game is um, an absolute bonus. And that would be the case, you know, even if we'd won four out of our first five games, you would still go into that game thinking anything we get out of this is a bonus. So it's almost like, you know, that the Manchester City is such a different prospect to any other team in the division at this point, uh, which is very sad for the game of football, but it's true. There's, there's almost no point, like, trying to bring someone in now. Like, you might as well just... Um, uh, you might as well just give him that if he gets absolutely battered, fine. I, and I could also see the argument for giving him Leicester and Southampton as well, because then there is an international break, and then a new manager coming in would have an opportunity to to do it. But I, I mean, my perspective is uh, let him have the six because there's no point in a new manager coming in and getting smashed by Man City. Uh, but assuming we do get smashed by Man City, I wouldn't hang around any longer. We need to make a change because the, we know from when we went down last time. Once the rot sets in, you can change managers, um, but it's very it's very hard to do anything about it. So I, I think we've got to rip the plaster off. We can't we can't really leave it any yeah. longer. You, uh, than, you, you than would we have to. You would hope they are planning for that eventuality. A bit like uh, they're planning for life with and without Grealish, or being in the Premier League and being in the Championship. You'd hope they'd have two plans in place almost. Uh, yeah. In the background, or having the discussions, so they can move quickly. Um, but I guess we'll see. Um, I've got sort of two more people I think who want to speak. John, I know you've been waiting for a while, and JD's been waiting for a while, so I'll get you both on. But just quickly, let's uh, let's just look at some of the comments that have come in as well. Sanj, how do Brighton and Palace unearth the gems and wheel? <laughs> well put. Uh, we have changed our strategy to aggressive old school model to one to one where we started with Dino. Worrying times, completely agree. Um, uh, it's sad, but every word is so true from James Woodcock. Uh, Villa fan 8282, uh, clubby to sack and a statement from the board telling fans the truth and what exactly ambitions are. We've been enjoying this window so far this season. Baz says, I swear I saw Jarrah say to Prissy, what do we do next when we equalise? Did anyone else see it on the screen? I don't know if anyone else saw it on the screen. I didn't see that. But I hope that <laughs> that wasn't what was happening. I'm, uh, well, well, I suppose he's asking his assistant, isn't he? So I suppose nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> you'd hope they have a plan for that. Um, a bit more obviously we've talked about Dougie being off uh, obviously that, the only player he seems to be able to score a goal for us at the moment uh, it looks like he might be off uh, we've talked about the disconnect from, from Vinci uh, race season ticket prices net spender a relegation candidate yeah I mean I'm never going to never going to sort of call out the owners that have done so much for this club and they continue to do obviously they're looking to build this club over the longer term there's plans with the stadium etc but um, is there an FFP problem? Is there a reason why we're not spending any more money? But you know, we did we did bid twenty five million for Saar, and I don't know that was going to happen. So there is money there. Why the change of strategy? You know, why are we not? Why are we looking at Lucas Moura? Obviously, if we believe the rumours, it may not be true. But why are we looking at Lucas Moura and not someone like Akpo or you know, a, a, a winger with a bit more potential and a bit more 
room to grow and, and maybe sell on value as well, uh, thinking about sort of the longer term. Um, so let's, let's, get the, let's get a couple of guys on. on. Uh, JD, I'll get you on. John, I'll get you on in a second, mate. Just hold on, please. JD, I'm just going to add you on, mate. Uh, mate, how are you doing? Hey, everyone. Good evening. Sorry it's all doom and gloom and a bit sort of the opposite of what we all thought we would be feeling at this point, I think. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not your fault, JD. Oh, no. Let's cheer everyone up, maybe. But I think the problem that we're going to have, and we need to be very much aware of the fact that, say they get rid of Gerard, which at the moment, I don't think, the other problem is, I don't think anyone really knows whether or not that's likely to happen or not. Perslow, I think, had this grand plan of getting a big manager at Surrender with a big name in from the start. Um, there was talk of Thierry Henry. Obviously, Dean Smith came in. But we've got to realise that whoever comes in next is potentially going to have to save us from relegation. And the last person who did that then got sacked because it was Dean Smith. So how much of a, an attractive proposition is managing this club at the moment when you've got teams like Brighton, you've got teams like Newcastle, you've got teams that are like Crystal Palace, who have all sort of got some kind of structure together, something that we seem to have not long ago. You know, it was only this time last year where you guys have mentioned already how, how good that connection between the fans was and how, you know, we probably had the last thing that will ever be the same in terms of Grealish and Dean Smith, two Villa fans, two local lads, a captain and a manager. I don't think that's ever going to happen in the Premier League for anybody. And I don't think we quite realised how good that was until it was, it was sort of gone. But Gerard goes, I think we're going to really struggle to attract the kind of manager that we should want to attract because we've already seen, like you said, it's, it's rumours, but the type of players that we wanted to attract even this week aren't coming to us for whatever reason we don't know. Players that we should be, I don't know, if we desperately need to keep Louise, but Louise shouldn't be looking to move on. We should not be looking to lose a player like Douglas Louise when teams like, supposedly, Arsenal, Atletico Madrid, Liverpool. Why are we letting go of people like that when we've got this ownership that have done fantastically well in terms of where they've taken us? But I think... Problem is, I don't think we had a plan B after Grealish left. And I think Perslow's kind of fobbed his way along a little bit. I don't really know the situation with him. And somebody's mentioned that he's he's part got some shares in the comp- in the in the club and it's difficult to move him on, etc. I think if people are looking for Perslow to move on, you've got absolutely zero chance of that happening in the middle of a season, let alone outside you know, pre-season. I think We'll probably get two or three more games. I don't think we'll win any of them. And I think we are seriously now looking at struggling to stay in the league and we'll end up... We've probably regressed probably five years in the space of eight months, if I'm honest. And I know I said I was going to cheer everybody up and that's done probably the exact exact opposite. That's probably done the exact opposite. But seriously... But it's true, but it's maybe not five years, but definitely it's it's pulled us back a bit and... uh, you know, from a position where we thought we were, we had all the right ingredients in place. Even when Grealish left, we still thought the club was on a upward trajectory and was, you know, that continuous progression. Just the phrase that was used. Um, we thought that's what was going to happen. Uh, we all, we all accepted, I think, last season that it was going to be a difficult season, and if we could finish the table, that would be an achievement. But I, I, I think it's more, it's less sort of the where we ended up in the table, more the manner of how we ended up there. 
and the manner of what's happened this season and where we're heading. I think every fan is a lot more informed these days when it comes to football because they see so we much. We just always we always seem to do this where we get so close to being able to then become the kind of club that we want to be and the, the kind of club the owners want to be or the kind of club that we're really, really close to getting to and we get really, really close and then we just completely flop down back to sort of two, three years behind where we were. Learner, we did it then. We sort of get progression to the point of view where we all get excited and start probably thinking ahead of ourselves and then it kind of just gets ripped away by ourselves almost in terms of internal decisions and things like that. But I just can't see a... I honestly cannot see a way of solving the problem that we're in now because... It's, too, it's going to be too difficult to attract. Potter's not going to come to Villa mid-season when he's really staking a name for himself. And to be honest, yeah, club we've got owners that are really rich. So is everybody else, to be fair. But I don't think, as we are now, we're a, we're a job for somebody because we're just a problem. Nobody ever takes this job and ends up going on to do anything better. That's no manager, it's interesting it, point because no that, manager that, ever does anything better after Villa. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, JD, I've, I've been saying that I've been saying that for years. Uh, that the last manager that came to Villa and left Villa with a better reputation than they came in with was Graham Taylor. The first time he was here, yeah. Uh, Villa's no, like the England job. You can't come out of it and then go on to sort of improve yourself or improve your career. It kind of, it's like a career career ender for a manager. Yeah, you just yeah, go down. So I've always been surprised <laughs> when any manager comes to us. To be honest. But I, I do think uh, I do think there is still an attraction to the club. It's you know it's got a great history, and yeah, every club's got good good wealthy owners these days. But I think ours are maybe a level above some of them. So uh, you know, I think we would still attract a good a good quality uh, manager if if Gerard could would go. Uh, and I also think. Um, we could have attracted someone better the last time around. You know, I think, for example, you say we wouldn't get Potter now. I think that's probably true. Uh, I think probably if we'd really gone after Potter last time, instead of going after Gerald, we may well have got him now. <coughs> um, and then we'd be in a better position than where we are now. So, uh, I, you know, I think, um, would we have got someone like Conte or someone that level? No, of course we wouldn't. Uh, and we still wouldn't. But are there always money, you know, Pochettino's name is knocking around. He's a free agent. Would we get him? I don't know. We, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't 100 percent say I mean, we wouldn't. I think we'd have a shot. Yeah, I would. So. Say, yeah, I'd say the owners are serious people. Any day, you know. That, that, I think that that's that's clear to see from what we've seen over the last few years since they've been here and what they've been able to do. They're, they're serious people. These aren't. Uh, it's not Tony Gia that's trying to get a manager. In. These are uh, successful people who are well known in global industries, have successful sports franchises elsewhere. So uh, from that perspective, I don't worry about that too much. My concern is obviously, is Perslow mainly, is, is in, in making decisions and the decisions yeah. he's made, especially over the last 18 months, and whether he's willing to make that decision and whether he has the autonomy to make that decision and whether we want him to have the autonomy to make that decision. Um, but I suppose that's well, more of a longer-term thing. Well, I will just say on Perslow, I know you have your considerable doubts about him, Omar, and you've been critical of him on the pod before uh, and clearly the decision to appoint Gerard, for what we know was driven largely by him uh, so it looks like 
as we many of us predicted it might be to have been a very poor very poor decision i think as a ceo in terms of the broader remit of that role sure. you know yeah I he's i think he's doing he does a good job like the commercial yeah. revenues are up you know, plans yeah. for the stadium are right like Obviously, there's arguments, uh, and rightly so, given the performances on the pitch about the increases in ticket prices and all of that sort of stuff. But our ticket prices are still below average for the Premier League uh, for most of the ground, uh, and they haven't gone up for a long time beforehand. So, yeah, it was pretty tone deaf to do it in the way that we did it and at the time that we did it, given the cost of living crisis and all the rest of it. But I do think off the pitch, he's generally pretty good CEO I just think he needs to keep his nose out of football matters a little bit more because um, you know Thierry Henry was mentioned earlier etc he's and that's not what we need we need someone like Lango who's got actual knowledge of football and how to you know unearth who's to say we need a potter or someone who's to say Lango someone in his black book you know that he's keeping an eye on uh, he's managing in Denmark or somewhere who could be a genius right I don't see why it needs to be, uh, you know, why couldn't we find the next Potter or the next Mourinho or the, you know, th- those options should be on the table and available um, as yeah, well. Uh, and, yeah. and that's something I don't think we've been, we've, we've done enough of. Yeah. You don't necessarily need big names. Uh, I think you just need the right people. And the key, I suppose the CEO's job is not, is not just the sort of commercial side, which I agree is completely, uh, I think he's done really well at, uh, and, he, and he's completely passed all the tests that he, he needs to have passed as a CEO on that side of things. I think he's been too involved in the footballing decisions, yeah. uh, from, from my liking, for someone yeah. who has very little experience of fo- the footballing world. Apart from obviously working, you know, he was commercial director at Chelsea. He was heavily involved in the Liverpool side and helped, helped find the new owners. But from a footballing perspective, you know, what knowledge does he have of, of the professional game? Um, and what, what, what makes him qualified? You know, we saw what happened with Suso. You know, is Yorick Lange the right appointment? How is he done? Do we actually know about that? Uh, you know, in terms of what goes on behind the scenes and, and how much influence he has on decisions just there. You know, the only thing the only thing I've seen of Yorick Lange is him on the phone to Craig Butler during that live stream and telling him where to sign contracts. That's literally the only yeah. thing I've seen. So it's the only insight I had to what he does. Uh, and you don't really see too many people talking about, even when signings come about, Yorick Lange and what he did to get him across is always the manager or Perslow. So again, whether he's the right man or not, again, is that the right decision Perslow's made? And a CEO lives and, and dies by their decisions at the end of the day and who they hire. And that's part of the skill set a CEO should have. Um, let, let's, let's move away slightly and, and we'll, we'll close off now for, for the pod. But John, I'll get you on now because I think you want to talk more about the players and their responsibility in terms of what's happened rather than just the manager. So I'll just get you on and give me one second. Hopefully you're still you're still there, John. Hi, John. You're right. You oh, is that me? Yes, hi, mate. Oh, yeah, sorry, mate. It's, the um, and, and they're, obviously they're... it's the first time calling. Um, okay. Obviously, look, it's it's so frustrating with what's going on. But um, just going back, like which I mentioned, I, I tweeted about um, the youth system. That's all been torn up. Um, with Dean Smith, I mean, I, I did like him. He was a good manager, he played good stuff. Um, but it has been torn up. Uh, that was that was none of Gerard's fault, and I have been. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try and back him. 
Because I do think mistakes have been made above board level, yeah, above Gerard's. I mean, it's still a new team. The team that he had was, well, he, he inherited was not a great team. Um, so I just think when he's maybe, obviously it's not great, but can we just, do we give him time or... Obviously, it's Gerard out, so that's just my point. That's all it is. It's just so frustrating being a bit of fun at the minute. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, John. Thank you for for coming on, and thanks for your insight. It's always good to hear other perspectives as well. I think, and and I do, I do think, um, you know, I do think part of this is on the players as well. Um, of course, it is. You know, at the end of the day, they they you know they've been given instructions, and whether they as Gerald likes to say, whether they're all in or not is, is another matter. So th- there is definitely some sort of responsibility on the players, but I think we can all see that there's something wrong. Uh, and as a fan, I think you get a sense when there's things, there's something wrong. Not in terms of just the strategy and what's happening on the pitch, but just the general mood of the club, what's happened with Mings, what's going on behind the scenes, the leaks, the players, the bomb squad. There's just a lot that points to uh, morale being low, uh, but also a bit of, uh, I don't know, a bit of unrest in the dressing room, do you think, AJ? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, even stuff like, you know, you can start to see the briefing to the media has stories coming out about the squad not being happy about Sanson being bombed out and all that sort of stuff. And, and it's, you know, we've been talking about, uh, haven't we, in the WhatsApp around... You know, Traore going and El Ghazi going and yeah, sure, they're fringe players now and they, they've got to be um, off the wage bill and that's probably a good thing. But, you know, a couple of seasons ago between them, they contributed to 23 goals uh, in the Premier League. 23 goals in the Premier League is really hard to come by, as we can certainly see this season. So to see both of them go for the values that they've, they've gone, and I know there's contract situations and all that sort of stuff is mitigating factors, but... It just shows a general poor management of the squad to me. And and the way we'd sort of gone from looking at like we were, you know, a really well get now a really really well run club and doing all the right things and, you know, trying to sign people up to contract and all that sort of stuff. Uh it just feels like in all kinds of ways, like it's probably too far still to say the wheels are coming off, but certainly some of the nuts are coming loose in a number of different areas. And I, and I just don't see why... Look, it's fair to say, right, Samsung, uh, I, I don't fancy him. He's not for me. He's not going to play. But why why make him go and train with the under-23s? You know, and the same thing with Mings, like we've said before on the pod. Look, there's a football argument that Tyrone Mings makes errors. And for that reason, he's not going to start all our games. So he shouldn't be captain. That's a perfectly legitimate football argument. But then all of the stuff on top of that around the comments that Gerard made around it and the, you know, oh, you've got to look me in the eye to get back in the team and stuff. And then a week later, he said, oh, actually, he had a bit of a groin injury or whatever. Like, it's just yeah. there's so many, like, little things that are just going to erode the confidence of the squad. And, you know, you look at Samson or you look at the captain, uh, and you see them basically get out and you're just going to be thinking, well, am I going to be next? Like, yeah. if he suddenly yeah. decides he doesn't doesn't fancy me, am I going to be training with the under twenty threes next week? Like, it, yeah, it just, these, play, uh, these these players don't have bad attitudes. You know, it's not all like the bomb squad under 
uh, Lambert where it was it wasn't so much for attitude but more done to get wages off the off the books and there was a way to get players out of the door that they wanted to get out because they were on too high wages they wanted to go in a different direction you know these players Sanson they, they were bought under the this this regime maybe not Gerard but they're bought under the regime the footballing anger and co uh, you know so what, what you know we spent 15 million on him <laughs> it's it's a lot of money and he was hailed and even Gerard when he first came on and said he's got a bright future ahead of him at Villa and I, don't think, well, I don't think he's done anything wrong either. Like he's he's been unfortunate with injuries. He made a couple of errors, I suppose. Like the bit the big one at United was. Uh, yeah. But generally speaking, when he's played, he's looked all right to me. And given <laughs> given how dreadful our midfield has been for some yeah. of this season, uh, which again is as much structural as it is about the individuals. But you'd think we'd be giving him a go at least. Like he just he's he's never had a consistent run of games. But but, the, but from from a business perspective, you know, you want to uh, maintain their value as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. if you are looking to move them on. So, you know, our guards the Everton loan, like I think that's just bad luck uh, at the end of the day. You know, he he, he obviously had a, a decent the season before, he had 11 uh, we talked about you know, his inconsistency uh, and he started the season off with I think he got three goals last season. And before we move him to Everton and hopefully get some games there and, and he can keep some value and we can sell him on. And, and it didn't work out. He didn't play and obviously his value has decreased. Bertrand Traore, his you know, obviously injury record was poor last season. He didn't get to play. So again, it's unfortunate from the club's perspective. So for those, I, I, I kind of understand. Still, I still think there's better ways to manage that uh, situation. Anwar Ghazi, you know, obviously we've, we've seen him leave today. Uh, and the outpouring of emotion of him leaving, obviously, sort of the, one of the last players remaining, really, where we had a special connection with that yeah. championship team. Um, and does he deserve to be treated that way? You know, what has he done? I don't think he's shown a bad attitude. Yeah, he's been no. consistent, but in terms of attitude and application, I don't think he's he's shown anything bad. And even today, I think, you know, the application and the attitude of the players was pretty good. Second yeah. half especially, uh, I, I thought... You know, there was definitely not loads of positives, but a few positives to take from that second half performance in terms of how the players responded. Uh, but yeah, you know, again, we've seen time and time again Gerard digging out the players, and again earlier, you know, he, he, I think before the game he even mentioned that, that they weren't booing the players; the fans were booing him, which is a really weird thing for a manager to sort of acknowledge in in public, um, which maybe is the reason why he did from you know wander off into the tunnel without acknowledging the fans. It's uh, yeah, I imagine someone who I don't know if he has a big ego or not. I imagine so because he's obviously a world class player and played at the highest level. So it's hard not to have an ego when you've been in that situation. But that must hurt when you've got your fans of your club that you're managing booing you. Um, it must be a difficult one to come back from. Wow, should be less shit. <laughs> uh, and with that, I think we'll leave it. We'll leave it. We'll leave it at that. Uh, for those who are listening, thank you for for, for your time this evening. If you haven't uh, listened to the pod before, please do uh, listen to our weekly pod. Uh, it's normally a lot more upbeat than this. Uh, well, is it? Say upbeat. It's a little more, li- a bit more lighthearted. Sorry, there's normally uh, more banter, isn't there? We have more banter. Much yeah. banter today. Yeah. We so haven't no, chatted normally... about. Our, no, we normally have a little chat about our dinner and stuff, don't we? As well. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, so not our normal sort of. We do a weekly pod where we uh, do the sort of news stories of the week. We we review and preview the games in a in a fun and interesting way. Um, and then we do a little bit of a, a trivia Villa Bowl where we go back in time and uh, pick out a fixture where we have to try and answer some questions about, including like sort of style, line up who scored, who the referee was, normally Uriah Rennie, uh, things like that. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot more interesting than stats, mate. Don't we have stats? stats? Yeah, I was just about to come on to stats, mate. So you AJ, 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 
AJ is our stats resident stats man, and uh, he does most of this walking, to be honest, uh, because a, a lot of what he says is interesting, or well, a lot more interesting than what the rest of us have to say. So, yeah, do do subscribe and, and listen to our pod if you haven't before. Um, uh, our pod is our pod is normally sponsored by a local uh, digital marketing company called Rebate Digital. Uh, to check them out as well uh, on our page and yeah thank you for listening and uh, uh, hopefully uh, <laughs> the only way is up thanks AJ and thank you all up the villa up the, up the villa I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it.